Welcome to Jazz Avec Moi, the podcast where we will talk about everything from life, career, and entrepreneurship from a TCK perspective. My name is Michaela Mutoni, and I will be your host. Hello, beautiful people. So today I am speaking with Clarence Quarku, a good friend of mine. We actually met for the first time when we both worked at Target Canada and we were both these like young African kids trying to succeed in the corporate world. I wanted to speak with Clarence because he is such an inspiring person. He's really one of those people who pursue their dreams relentlessly and pursue excellence in whatever they do, whether that's in his everyday job or with Epico, his company. So I just wanted to chat with him and understand a little bit more about him, like what drives him and why he does what he does. So tune in. Thank you so much, Clarence, for being right. here with me. I'm so excited. No, it's good. It's good. The best way to meet these days is virtually, given uh, the state of the nation, if you will. I know, right? It's funny because actually when I uh, started the podcast, I was like, I know so many cool people. I feel so lonely in my job. Let me just talk to them remotely. <laughs> well, listen, I'm hoping I'm hoping you're going to do an episode interviewing yourself because in the scheme of cool people, I feel like you got to be on the roster. You're hella cool. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's on the, it's on the pipeline somewhere. We'll see. See what I did there, people? You know, you got to compliment the person who's asking you questions. Uh, That's very true. (laughs) I'll be kind. Don't worry. I'm super, super excited to be here. I know that we've scheduled and rescheduled this a million times. So I'm super, super excited that we're we're getting the chance to to have a bit of a chat. Me too. So (laughs) for the people that might not know who Clarence is, could you please uh, introduce yourself and then I'll add. Yeah, absolutely. So Clarence Kwarku. business person, entrepreneur, brother, son, lover of jazz. Um, I wouldn't say foodie, but uh, allergic to small portions of food. And um, just all around uh, excited individual who is inspired by connecting people. Yes. Oh, my God. That's actually true. Huh? You're, you are a good like people connector. Thank you. Oh, my that. God. So let's go back to our beginning. We met yeah, at Target. We did. Target oh. Canada, for, for the record. I had just graduated, but you had been working for a couple of years. Yeah, that's right. Um, I call that my my billion dollar startup experience. You know, working for a, a large organization that's starting from scratch. So we, I think we we were both analysts when we yes. met, um, mm-hmm. business analysts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Target was a, an incredible experience. I know you got listeners from all over, but to give you guys some context, you know, Target obviously a massive retailer in the U.S. Probably five six years ago now, if not longer had their first international expansion attempt uh, moving into Canada, um, opening you know, over 100 stores within a year, a massive multi-billion dollar expansion that you know, me and my good friend here were privileged to be a part of, um, really almost from the get-go, because I think I was looking at the stats and I think I was like employee number 50 or 60. Oh that was the God. first business analyst on our grocery team, actually, that ended up being about almost 40 people. So pretty, pretty cool experience to kind of be there from the start. Yeah, I like to think that Target was like the school of business, you know, like we really learned a lot. Yeah, I always tell people, you know, when you think about like just education, there's so many different ways one can get educated. And it's like, if you work for a startup or a scale up, it is pretty much like an MBA, because you get thrown so many challenges that you've got to figure out. And 
you know, you ask your boss and she doesn't have the answer and you ask her boss and he doesn't have the answer. And so you kind of just have to get scrappy. Yeah. You just have to do trial and error. Trial and error. We did a lot of that. A lot of late nights, a lot of pizza, pizza. Yeah. Cupcakes. Cupcakes. Yeah. Yep. It it was cool. I I don't know about you, but I, um, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. I would even say outside of, you know, how to be a business analyst, but just in terms of decorum and, you know, how to carry yourself in a large organization. Because prior to that, I hadn't worked for a company as big as that. Yeah, it's true. And then we had so many responsibilities, right? And then you just had to kind of assume what you're doing and defend it and then go for it. Yeah, totally. I think, I think what was interesting about Target was though we had defined roles, the company was growing at such a fast pace that they had a lot of white space. And, yes. and so if you were interested in something, there was likely an opportunity for you to kind of define what your role was. So from training and coaching and mentorship to data analytics and optimization, a lot of the stuff that wasn't on my job description that I was kind of interested yeah. in, I was able to kind of finesse into my role, which was, which was really cool. And I think a, a, an important lesson kind of for everyone, like just from a career perspective around making a job what you want it to be as long as you continue to add value to the company, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. What do you think your biggest lesson was from that time? Man, I, I couldn't even isolate one. I was, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, when I started at Target, I knew nothing about the consumer packaged goods industry. Yeah. I knew nothing about retail. I didn't grow up in North America where I would say big box retail has a specific business model. Mm. So I think for me coming in, I was really nervous. I was like yeah. this kid who was hungry, had a bit of work experience. But I didn't know anything about the industry. And four or so years later, you know, yeah. really becoming an expert in the business, I think I realized you can learn anything if you yeah. put your heart into it and if you're committed. Um, I think the other thing was really just the power of teams. So, you know, when you've got over 100 analysts, sort of say three to five years out of university, who are all trying to figure it out together, when you experience challenging situations with a group of individuals and you can get through it together, it creates incredible bonds. Hence, the reason we're still talking. So I think that's another thing that resonates. And then I guess, and not to spoil the story, but Target ended up making a decision to pull out of the Canadian marketplace. That was interesting because it had a different impact for everybody. You know, some people were happy, some people were scared, others were sad. For me personally, I think it it helped me to realize you should never be defined by what you do. You should be defined by who you are. And so figuring out how do you put effort and energy into the job that you have but not allow it to define who you are because without it, um, you can lose a sense of self. So those kind of couple things that that resonated for me. What about you? So many good things. Um, The first one is I realized how smart I was. And you and were smart. Listen, I, I wouldn't, I was, I'm just going to interject because I can't remember how many times I came over to your desk and I was like, so listen, this is due in an hour. <laughs> but go ahead. Oh, thanks. No, but I, I, I mean, I, I always feel weird saying that. I think I'm like getting comfortable saying that. But it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, wait, I can do this. Especially because graduating from my undergrad, like you, right? Like me, I moved to Montreal just for school. So when I was at McGill, like in school, it was kind of hard to adjust a little bit. And I was like, what am I doing in this world? Am I going to fit in and stuff? But because like you said, Target just gave you the opportunity to just go for it. If you have an idea, just execute it. Just try things, be able to react under pressure. I was like, oh, wait, I'm smart. I can right. do this. So for me, it was a huge validation. I can be here and, and I can succeed, even though, as you know, 
succeeding was hard a target. Like it was the right. little win because you would right. win one day and then there's a fire the next day. True, true, true. <laughs> I think it also depends on how you define success. Cause I think, you know, it's those small wins kind of keep you going. Right. And it's like, yeah. if you are better than you were yesterday, if you learned something, if you apply it to the next day, irrespective of the result of the organization, you're, you're kind of winning. Cause I think. Virtual. Yeah, and it taught me that you're right because, like you say, you couldn't solve all the problems. Oh my goodness, no way! So many, so you had to be grateful for the problem that you solved now and kind of yeah celebrate those small wins before you moved on the next hurdle because otherwise you would always feel you would just feel discouraged all the time, you know? Yeah. And I learned how to be yeah, grateful for the teams as well and the connections that we made because it was truly a special moment. I think everybody that was there in that moment, it was like, yeah, we're a team. We just had to kind of make it happen and just, you just got to do what you got to do and then help each other, you know? Totally. Totally. I think yeah. it's one of those once in a, once in a career opportunities, like you don't often get to start a multi-billion dollar retail company yeah. that spans across various provinces, regions. It was really cool. It was really cool. But I do like, um, just to go back to one of the things you said, I do like what you said about just how you started to build confidence in yourself. Yeah. I feel like one win starts to snowball. And when you start to achieve things, you start to realize you can achieve things, which yeah. creates inspiration to do more. It's just something people always ask me about. They're like, how did you you get where you are and I'm like one win after another and you get more bold and you maybe apply for a job that you didn't think you're qualified and you get it and then you do well at that job and you know I think that idea of being able to push yourself based on the momentum of small wins is really key yeah for sure and then after that well I left right I went to do my MBA and then you switched jobs and went to do something else I did I did so I guess um I want to share a funny story. So it's kind of like these natural disasters and everyone's like, where were you when this happened? So uh-huh. I remember the day Target closed, I was driving into the office. And for a lot of folks who know me, I am, I'm working on my punctuality. Um, and so I was running late. And so I was in an Uber and my dad called me. Uh, my parents live in Kenya. And yeah. he said, hey, listen, I heard it on the wire on Reuters. I heard Target's closing. And around the time Target was closing, there was a lot of just questions and assumptions around its potential closure. So I said, dad, what are you talking about? We're fine. I work for the company. Um, And we had just done a big December sales push. So I was waiting for that big bonus. And um, I get into the lobby of the building and there's a little bit of extra security, which isn't abnormal. We had Pepsi and a couple other big companies there. And when their executives would come, there was extra security. So I get up the elevator, the doors open and it is, it's the most insane scene. I've got people on my left who are crying. I've got oh, people no. on my right who are laughing. I've got people who are working vigorously on their resumes. And so the news hit us all at once. The same news, but completely different reactions. And so as I went through that process and started to realize what was happening, I had to figure out how I wanted to react. And I think for me, it was uh, really a time of pause. You know, I took a little bit of time. Uh, I didn't do too much traveling. Um, Really got back to just things I enjoyed, you know, working out, listening to music, you know, writing my diary, talking to mentors. Well, I guess when I finished uh, at Target, you know, I, I basically had kind of two paths I could go at. I'd always yeah. dreamed of getting into branding and brand management. And so it applied to a lot of the, the big the Unilevers, Procter & Gamble's, and actually got some very good responses. Yeah. So I had the option of getting into consulting. So kind of that McKinsey, Bain, BCG world. And yeah. also had some, some options there. And so 
at the time I got an offer from Unilever, you know, it was kind of my dream brand manager job. And through the process, I'd applied to a couple of other places. Yeah. And I didn't want to travel as much as the consulting world would have forced mm-hmm. me to. And so I'd applied to a bit of an internal consulting role for General Mills, you know, mm. who makes Liberté yogurt and Pillsbury and all sorts of amazing products, Cheerios. And so I had one offer on the table and I had an offer, another offer on the table. And yeah. it was a bit of a crossroads. And I really thought this branding thing has always been interesting to me, but I wonder if I could push myself. I wonder if I could do something completely out of my comfort zone. So, you know, when Target finished, I ended up taking a role for General Mills, leading their global shared services uh, for Canada. An amazing experience working with teams in India and really all around the world to kind of use technology, people and process to solve problems. And so I did that for a few years and loved it. But I think what's interesting is at the time I was at Target, I didn't think I was qualified for a role like that. And it took yeah. any closing for me to have the guts to say, all right, well, well, not even the guts to force me to, yeah. to kind of push myself in a new direction. Yeah. And we always have those big turning moments where you're like, well, this is it. dude. We got to do what we got to do. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I know that when you were at General Mills in that internal consulting job, is that when you decided, I've been thinking about doing my MBA for a long time. Let me go for it. Yeah. When did you finally decide this should be one of the next steps? I should take because I know we had spoken about it a lot. Yeah, the MBA is an interesting one. I'm really blessed to come from a very loving family and a family that highly values education. Growing up as a as an African, a lot of parents really force education down your throat. You, yeah. you know, I was blessed enough to have parents who are pre- pretty um, cosmopolitan and open minded. You know, my dad has an MBA. My mom's got a master's in psychology. They both did that in Manchester, and so growing up, I'd always loved business. I've always liked the idea of creation. I always thought entrepreneurship was kind of like magic. You kind of take a concept or an idea and it's in your head and you make it a reality. I always knew I wanted to do an MBA. I had always thought about doing it. I just hadn't figured out when or where. And I think when Target closed, one of the things that I realized was you know, we had over a hundred analysts, you know, pretty much doing the same role, but in different areas and at different yeah. levels of seniority. And we all flooded the marketplace. So my resume looked just like everyone else's resume, business analysts, doing strategic analysis, graphs, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really wanted to make sure, though I did get a good job after Target closed, I wanted to make sure I was always in a position to be dangerous when it came Mm -hmm. to getting roles or um, applying for different things. But beyond that, um, and I'm happy to talk about my background a little bit in a moment, But having not grown up in Canada and only moving here for university, I didn't have a huge network. So, you know, a lot of Africans will know, you know back home and say, hey, who's your father? <laughs> Who do you know? And, you know, ah, this old guy or that person. And so what's interesting is I think in many communities, your ability to strive and move forward is predicated on your network. And I didn't have a strong network. And so when I graduated university, I was able to get jobs when Target closed. I realized my network wasn't broad enough that I could make a phone call and say, hey, I'm looking for a job. And as you know, a lot of the jobs out there are not posted online. So I had to go the online route. I had to network. And it was a lot of hard work. And so I said, you know, if I'm ever in this position again, I want to build equity and build relationships that I can make a phone call and, and make sure I can connect the dots. And so I think the combination of wanting to, to be employable going forward, the inspiration from my parents who've worked incredibly hard coming out of educated backgrounds and this idea that I want to continue to learn and and strive, but then also 
the last piece around building a strong network in a country that I'm not originally from were yeah. kind of the three factors. And, you know, what was really fantastic about General Mills, I, I reported to one of our global directors who was very metropolitan. He's traveled a lot and he really believed in this idea of less of work-life balance, just life balance, right? And this idea mm-hmm. that work is part of life and life yeah. is part of work. And so, you know, I told him about this program. It was kind of an executive program. It was one year, full-time MBA while doing full-time work. And instead of two years, it's only one year. So it was incredibly intense, but I didn't want to take the opportunity cost of not making money. And so probably the hardest year of my life, I didn't sleep much, but I had the opportunity to do it. And so those are some of the drivers, but I also think being able to do it while working allowed me to use my, my job as a bit of a business case for the program. Yeah, true. And also, honestly, having gone the opposite route and taken two years off of work to do an MBA full Which time. Which I totally respect, by the way. Oh, it was rough, guys. <laughs> listen, the hustle is real. The hustle. Listen, I, I'll be texting you. You'd be like, listen, I got business cases to do, HBR. But like, we had different experiences. I'm curious to see, because you know, I think one of the things, the folks who did full-time work and full-time school, one of the things we always felt like is we didn't get that personal connection in terms of building really strong relationships, kind of going in day in, day out yeah. teams. Do you, did you feel like you built some strong connections that are lifelong? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Like I do have, uh, I do have a few friends that I know that we will be friends for a long time. And I know if I need anything, I can call them and they will. Um, Just drop everything. They will, yeah, they will help me out. I believe everybody has their path. And I guess that, that was my path. <laughs> but I think what I, I respect about doing the full, uh, full-time work, full-time MBA is, yes, I guess you don't get to enjoy the MBA experience that much, but you're still working, right? So I guess from, from a financial perspective, it's so much better for you. But also, I feel like then your network is local. True. You did your MBA in Ontario, and so everybody is like in Toronto or and the surroundings. So like, yeah, your network is local because part of doing your MBA, it's, well, that's your network, right? Whereas I did my MBA in the US, which was amazing, but now all of my network is in the US. Right. So when I came back in Canada, I kind of had to restart and rebuild. It's an interesting one too, because I think, you know, growing up, you know, as Africans who have grown up kind of one foot in each world, I think there's, at least if you've been passionate about business, a lot of us, dream of this international globe trotting sort of ideology where it's, you know, I've got a hubs in Hong Kong and, you know, I'll be in Kenya and South Africa and going back and forth. And and I think that's a noble dream, but I do think that the school that you choose in many ways has to mirror the life that you want. Um, And, and also your financial situation. Listen, that's not kid. It's not cheap. I pay for it myself. And so you've got to be pragmatic. I luckily got into a lot of good Ivy League schools in the US and the Kellogg's, et cetera. But when I, when I looked at the financial burden and I thought about where I was, and then I juxtapose that with what is the incremental value, you know, I really believe going to a top two school in Canada would still afford me, I would say, 80% of those opportunities, yeah. some that um, I couldn't even get in the US. So to your point, I can pick up the phone and have a place to stay anywhere in pretty much any province in Canada because I built relationships through my MBA with people all over the country. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. in addition to that, the MBA being an internationally acclaimed accreditation, 
and kind of being in an Ivy League school of Canada, if you will. And when yeah. I go internationally, people know Queen's University, you know, they yeah. know the Smith School of Business. So but when I looked at it from that perspective, I said, I'd love to go to Kellogg's. Yes, I got in. But you know what? In some ways, maybe I need to think a little bit differently about it. So, so yeah. yeah um, and sure. actually, even as I look back, I might have even, in some of the cases, I think I stopped the application process. So, you know, I was sort of on the path and said, look, you know what? It's not worth it. Yeah. Wait, so let's switch track a little. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, because you're a Ghanaian who grew up in Kenya. Yeah, I'm sort of, um, it's funny when you come to Canada, when, you know, and people say, where are you from? You say you're Canadian, yeah. you know, they kind of give you a, a wink and a nudge and like, no, no, but where are you really where from? Where are you from? And then I say I'm African and then they, they want more. So originally from Ghana, both my parents are born and raised in Ghana. I was born in Kenya, however, and I actually grew up in Uganda, between Uganda and Kenya. So though I was born in Kenya and then I moved to Uganda when I was quite young, but from grade five, I, I was in boarding school. So pretty much from grade five till, I guess, what we call it S3, I guess in the States, they would call it grade 11 or 12, uh, depending on your system. I was in boarding school, which was an amazing experience. Oh. But um, my boarding school was in Kenya, a school called St. Andrews, Turi, yeah. in a rural town, probably about three hours away from Nairobi, which is a capital city, not far from Nakuru. Yeah. And um, I went to boarding school there and, you know, would go home three times a year because um, we had the British system. So we had different terms mm. and um, we'd go back home to, to Uganda. And, you know, my parents ended up doing business in both countries. So I was blessed enough to sometimes be in Kenya, sometimes be in Uganda. Yeah. And every couple of years, go back and, and see the extended family in Ghana. So definitely an African. Um, yeah. It's funny, you know, when I go to Ghana, they call me Kenyan. Because, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't learn the language with the command that I would have liked. So, and, and, you know, when I was growing up, there weren't many Ghanaians in Uganda. When I go to Uganda, they're like, I don't have any of the facial features. I sound different. My nose is wide, as a lot of Ghanaians are, and, um, or at least from my tribe. And yeah. so they're like, well, you're not, yeah. and you was born in Kenya. So they're like, well, you're Kenyan. I go to Kenya. They're like, ah, you're Uganda because you didn't really live here. So oh, no. <laughs> when, I, when I eventually came to Canada and ended up migrating, this felt like home because, you know, finally no one was like, well, you're not from here. You're not from here. So yeah, Ghanaian, Kenyan, Ugandan living in Canada and a naturalized Canadian, I suppose. So then how do you today, how do you identify as? Just Clarence. I'm like, I'm just Clarence. I, I identify as African because I think it's easy. Yeah, I, like in reality, I take pride in being from Ghana. Uh, our jollof rice is sweet. you know, we, we don't we don't talk <laughs> jollof well. Well, there's a big rivalry in West Africa around who makes the best jollof rice. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's that good yeah, shit. Sure. Uh, can I swear on this? Yeah, I sure. <laughs> um, but I'm a I'm Ghanaian. You know, I grew up in the culture. I think it, you know yeah. sometimes when you think about where you're from, it's kind of where does your heart identify? And I think I've got pieces of all those different places in me. Yeah, of course. Uh, but in reality, you know, I grew up eating the food, grew up in the culture. Both my parents are very proud Ghanaians who were able to kind of make a name for themselves in East Africa, which was really tough at the time. So definitely a lot of pride in being Ghanaian. Yeah, for sure. Your parents are entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, yeah. So my dad's an entrepreneur in the radio and television, I suppose, media business in East Africa. Yeah. Um, my mom's a, an acclaimed psychologist. And so uh, I always say I, I grew up kind of messed up because a psychologist and an entrepreneur, um, very different perspectives, but, you know, incredibly loving, super, super hardworking. 
Uh, my mom's also an entrepreneur, actually. So yeah. uh, my parents have they, they've done it all from an IT business to an ad agency to radio to television to clothing stores, anything to kind of really ensure that we were the most aptly provided for. So yeah, that's a lot of where I get my drive. Yeah. My next question was like, how has that influenced the way that you look at your life and your career right now? Yeah. I think, you know, when you see people work so hard for you, you almost have no choice but to reciprocate it. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, oftentimes as Africans or even any immigrants who come to the West in inverted yeah. commas for school, you know, you get, you get the talk, right? Yeah. Not, don't get anyone pregnant. Don't do drugs. <laughs> don't come back with no money or else you're not coming back at all. And, you know, you get all those talks. But, you know, for me, I, I didn't really need it because I was like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. It's such an opportunity. You know, there are so many smart, intelligent, hardworking people all across the world who just need an opportunity. And it's not to say that you can only get opportunities in the West, but let's be honest, coming to the West does give you a slew of opportunities. So yeah, for sure. about my ability to be here is such a privilege. And for every one of me or you or any other listener there is who's in a position of privilege to have come to another country to study or to work, there's probably another million people who wish they had that opportunity. So in the combination of knowing where I came from and listen, the hustle was real, you know, like yeah. you didn't grow up in, in, in crazy opulence. You know, my parents worked really hard for everything they had. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it kind of instilled subconsciously a, um, a work ethic that's like, you just, you just got to get it done. And what's amazing was we were a pretty nuclear family. We didn't have cousins and aunts and uncles, you know, just a, a small amount of people in East Africa with us. Mm. Um, so we didn't have that luxury of, oh, I'm going to go to the village. I'm going to depend on someone else. So everything they have, they built themselves, you know, with yeah. the help of good friends and great employees and business partners for sure. But you know, off the sweat of their backs. So I've always thought to myself, even coming to North America, it's I'm on my own and sacrifices were made. So I think it kind of just shapes how hard I work and how prudent I am with my finances and always Mm -hmm. planning to make sure that I'm self-sufficient. And then from a cultural exchange perspective, as you know, the idea of sending your parents to an old folks home as an example in our culture is very taboo. And that's no disrespect to anyone who does do that, but it's very much when you get old, I'm going to build a section of my house for you to stay in and you're coming to live with me. And so, you know, though my parents haven't asked me to do that, that's in the back of my head. How can I make sure that I am successful enough that the hard work that they've put into me, I can make them proud by being able to give back in that way. So I think it's it's one of those things that's, it shapes you subconsciously in the way that you think about life and in terms of your outlook. Yeah. I I feel really lucky to have been brought up with some of that Mm -hmm. humble, thinking and that hard work ingrained. Yeah, and you do work so hard, Clarence. I can respect that a lot of people. real. I watch I watch me a lot of Netflix. I will still party, but I I don't know. It's again, it's not work life balance. It's just life balance. Life right? balance. Too much of anything is not a good thing. Listen, if you eat ice cream all day or day, it's just it's not good. If you eat carrots all day every day, it's not good. So yeah. I think you gotta you can listen, I mean work hard, but don't be a slave to money. Someone once asked me the other day, are you working to live? Are you living to work? And hmm. the answer is somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Another thing that I think I've learned from watching my parents sort of like you did is the way I think about it is if our parents were able to achieve what they did with what they had, right? 
started really small and grew it into something. What can we do with what we had? Totally. I love that. I love that. I think there's so many times we, you know, a lot of the friends I talk to, they're like, I ask them about their goals and they say, look, I just want to provide a better life than my parents provided me with. Mm. I remember being like, I don't know, I think I was probably like 10 or 12 and I, I got a bad grade. And, you know, I remember my dad saying, you know, every year I send you to school, that's a brand new Porsche. And like, <laughs> it's true, you know, international school fees, it's real. So yeah, yeah, it's like people yeah. made sacrifices. So listen, you got to get yours. And also I think about, you know, one day I want to have a family and God, I want to give them the absolute best. And that's not to say I want to spoil them, but I want to have the option to yeah. be able to give them everything. So, yeah. and also listen, listen, I got two eyes, you got two eyes, I got two legs, you got two legs. I got one heart, you have one heart. Like as they say in Pigeon, nobody say hey, you get two eyes and two heads though. So it's like, listen, there's 24 hours in the day. We all have the same 24 hours. We all started from a different position. Yeah, we, we all have access to different resources. But mm-hmm. the playing field is level in that you have the ability to do everything you can to change your circumstances. And it's not about you versus someone else. It's about you versus you. So my yeah. thing is, like, when I get up in the morning, I'm like, how do I be a better version of myself? It's not like I'm trying to beat the next cat because... I don't know what he's got. And quite frankly, I don't really care because it's not like he's going to give it to me. So yeah, for let sure. me just get mine. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. That's so yeah. true. No, it's good. It's good. And then, uh, so you have this whole drive. You like to do multiple things. You like to work hard. True. Um, how did you guys start Pepeco? What brought that about? Yeah, good, good. Ooh, good question. So I run a boutique branding and creative agency called Pepeco or the Pepe Company, spelled P-E-P-P-E-H. So it's it's a play on the word pepper. Um, yeah. But as you know, I'm Ghanaian. So, you know, when we talk, say Pepe, it's hot. <laughs> you know, it's like that West African pronunciation, really Ghana and, and Nigerian pronunciation yeah. of Pepe. So Pepe. I almost think it has a slightly different meaning because, you know, you, if you say something is pepper, it, it doesn't have the visceral edge of Pepe. You know, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so it's a you know boutique branding agency. The I guess I'll tell you a little bit about how it started, and I'll tell you a bit about the name because I think that's important yeah. to understand who we are. So it's funny you ask me about my MBA. You know, yeah. when you're doing full time school and you're doing full time work, you are busy, and the only way to do that is to cut out all of the cut out all the fat. So the TV yeah. shows and the hanging out for the sake of hanging out. And so I was very particular with my youth of time and was able to kind of graduate and you know within that one year and what I learned was there's a lot of time of the day that gets wasted and I think I was reading a I don't know it was a quote from I can't even remember who um, but they basically said we all have the same 24 hours in the day and we say we want to be successful but we like to sleep more than we like the idea of success and that always stuck with me because I think sometimes we say we want things but we're not willing to do what it takes to get them and so what I realized when I graduated, you know, I, got, I was always doing my job. I just had extra time. So the time I wasn't doing my MBA, I was still working, but you know, I just had lots of time and started watching TV and just hanging out. And I'm like, this is not an effective use of time. So mm-hmm. uh, me and a, and a really close friend and who's now uh, a partner in the business, you start talking about this opportunity in the space of branding and he's a creative director award-willing, really acclaimed uh, graphic designer as well. And he's a true creative through and through. Emmanuel had a lot of work coming his way that he 
um, wanted to find an opportunity to optimize. And, mm-hmm. you know, my background on the consulting strategy, client relations side was just a perfect mirror. And so even as I think about folks who are aspiring entrepreneurs, always think about ways you can partner with people who complement your skills. So he's the creative of the company. I will give him that through and through. I help drive the business. Now, we do cross-pollinate, but we are very clear on our our roles and responsibilities. The agency was born partially out of time that I optimized and the need to do something different. Also partially born by the fact that I just finished my MBA and I was like, you know, I want to pay this off and I want to find ways to drive additional financial security. And so Pepper or Pepe is the name of the company, the Pepe company. And if I think about food, which I love, when you put Pepe on your food, it doesn't actually change the flavor of the food. It enhances it. And that's kind of our core ethos and philosophy. You know, it's the belief that brands are incredible. The products you make are cool. You as an individual are awesome. And there's something about you that makes you great, different, and special. And so our job is to add Pepe. And it's in to enhance what makes you special and then share that with the world. So, you know, a lot of companies will come in and say, well, you've got to change your image. You've got to change that. Oftentimes we come in and say, let's unpeel the onion and figure out truly what is that je ne sais quoi, that, that key differentiating factor and then highlight it to the world. Um, So that's kind of the ethos, but the the name of the company really came because, you know, my business partner is Nigerian, I'm Ghanaian, we both came to Canada. And so you've kind of got that kind of trade between the West and the East, right? You know, we've, and when we think about, you know, early, the early trade routes, you know, I think about the, the spice route, you know, one of the first things was ever traded internationally um, back and forth consistently ices, specifically pepper. And so there's a subliminal um, almost node or nod to um, that because a lot of the business we do as a creative branding um, agency, though we do have clients in North America, it's about working with people on the continent and brands really globally and cross-pollinating across the board. So to date, a lot of our business has been on the continent, really global, but how do you take products and services and ideas from foreign places and help to introduce them to new markets? And I think branding can really be a tool to help to kind of level the playing field and drive communication that's universal. So um, yeah, a little bit about the company um, in terms of why we started it and the, the premise, but it's been a ton, a ton of fun. And as any entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur knows, it's got highs and lows, but um, I think you, you work through the lows and you live for the highs. Yeah. Oh my God. That's actually so inspiring. I didn't know that's how you started it. That's so cool. Because you don't call me enough. You don't, you don't call I me know, I know. I know. We both need to I'm putting do you on better. blast. I'm putting you on blast. I know. Listen, actually, so I, I'm going to come back to this. But uh, when you were talking about life balance, I was listening to Jesus and Jolof, another podcast that I love. Uh, great podcast. Great, and, great podcast. Uh, they were talking about uh, your portfolio of life because mm-hmm. it's a whole concept as well of life balance. And it's like your life, think of your life as a portfolio, sort of like a an, an portfolio of investments. And they were discussing how much of that portfolio is your work versus time that you spend with your family versus time that you want to spend in other activities. So when you were talking about it being really a life balance, because it's not, a, you, you can't really separate like work here and like life there. It's more looking at what's your portfolio of life and are you happy with how you have adjusted um, how we have allocated, I guess, each portion of time. And, and then they were talking about how that can vary according to the seasons, right? So for example, the season where you were 
um, working and doing your full-time MBA, then obviously you didn't have much of a social life, you know, but now that like, hopefully you have a little bit more of a social now life. I'm jumping on tables and drinking vodka. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Like, that is think, not like you. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I'm more of an old fashioned guy. Um, you know what? I think it, it, where you spend time should be a direct reflection of your goals. Right. Yeah. And so I think in many ways, if I tell you my top five goals for the year, you should get a pretty good sense of where I'm going to be spending my time. But I do agree with this premise that it is rotating and it's rolling and it's ever evolving. Because yeah. in reality, this idea of balance creates this metaphor in my almost a seesaw, right? And yeah. sometimes you're going a little bit down on the left and then you're going a little bit higher. And so I think, I think it's, it's okay to, to have times when you're really focused on you and you're really, really selfish and you're not hanging out with people and you're not picking up the phone. And I also think then, you know, within that, you've got to then go back and find the balance. And when you've done what you've got to do, go back and rebuild those relationships and establish them. But yeah, um, exactly. I think your support system is, is key. Like for me, you know, show me the five closest people in your network and I can tell a lot about you. You know what I mean? If mm. the people you surround yourself with are driven, motivated, hardworking, honest, optimistic, whether or not they're entrepreneurs or not, that's going to have an impact on you. If they yeah. are complacent, lazy, some of those traits are going to rub off on you as well. So I think even outside of um, how you manage that balance, it's about thinking around your support network and who do you who do you let in, right? Because I've got a pretty small circle. I've got yeah. a large amount of acquaintances, um, but I've got a small number of friends, and I'm very okay with that. Yeah, for sure, 100. percent Yeah, oh my God. And then I really like the inspiration uh, behind your name. How many uh, iterations did you have to go through to get to that? Or was it how many minutes time? do you have? How many minutes do you? How many hours do you have to talk about it? Um, yeah, we went through a ton of iterations. We, uh, you know, it's funny when you think about naming and as a branding company, it's one of the exercises we do for clients. So yeah. it's tough doing it for yourself. Um, we went through a ton of horrible names. Most of the horrible ones were for me, seeing as I'm not as creative as my business partner. Um, it, you know, it. It's kind of like meeting someone you love when you know you just you just kind of know and until you've been in that situation where you fall in love you can't really speak to it because yeah. it just seems really cliche so i would just say we we went through our, our usual whiteboarding session tons and tons of names iterations i think we wanted the name to feel authentic to who we were i think we yeah. wanted it to have a bit of color of our roots um, yeah. but it is, you know, though a company run by Africans, it is not a African company. It's, it's really a global enterprise run by Africans. And that, that was important for us. You know, I, I, you know, we've always said, you know, our mantle isn't, we are the African agency. We are an uh, international agency run by Africans yeah. with that as a mindset, that as an upbringing and those cultural, cultural values at the heart of what we do. And I think in, in some cases, as we evolve the business, there's opportunities to kind of change that ethos. So that's where we are today. Yeah. So no yeah. saying where we'll be tomorrow, but the naming for us was a process of figuring out what's something that's catchy, obviously, um, mm -hmm. that generates conversation. Some people say, is it Pepe? Is it Pepe? Like, <laughs> is Pepe? And, you know, being proud about where we're from. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, the, the idea of it being called the Pepe Company 
um, kind of as like the Hudson's Bay Company. It follows those roots of the international trade um, and starting to think about um, what was happening when those trade routes were established. So again, very regal and deep roots from a heritage perspective. Yeah. That's awesome. And especially, like you said, as you are a branding company, your name had to come correct, you know, because it is a direct reflection of the work that you are proposing that you can do. Totally, totally. Like a branding company, you would like a... Listen, you got to come correct, right? You got to... random name. Walk the walk, you know, walk the talk, if you will, right? So www.peppeh.com. Um, Don't worry, I'll put all the links. I'll put all the links after. Shameless plug. Shameless yes. plug. I'm not, I'm not even... It's funny, you know, when I, when I go to networking events or different things like that and people say, hey, like, how can I help you? I'm like, you can tell people about what I do. I think, and I'm a big believer in that. Like, as a yeah. young entrepreneur, do not feel shy about putting your name out there and also reciprocate it back. Like, put other yeah. people on. Yeah. Like, when I meet people, I want to follow you. I want to buy your product because I think mm. this society has all the, I wouldn't even say this society, I'd say, this time, there's a lot of talk in this era. There's a lot of Instagram, look at me, I am something that I'm not. And so I think you know, integrity is this ability to do what you say you're going to do and kind of put your money where your mouth is. So, so yeah, this is something I'm passionate sure. about. What's been your favorite part of running Pepe? Oh, gosh. Um, I think just the creative freedom to do something. Our business is modular, and so we scale up and down based on the needs of our clients, and that includes a lot of outsourcing. And so on a day-to-day basis, I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. The team kind of gets it done more on the kind of strategy and founding side. But just seeing, um, seeing product come to life, you know, an idea that was birthed in our offices, then on a billboard or out in a campaign or, you know, end up, uh, you know, inspiring a song that someone's singing. I think just this idea of creation, it, it kind of gets me giddy. Like I, when I was a kid, this idea of magic, you know, for me, yeah. entrepreneurship is magic. It's coming up with something in your head, right? It doesn't exist. And then putting it out into the world and seeing people experience that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the, the evolution of creation um, through working with different clients and, and, and the team is probably what I enjoy the most. Yeah, yeah. Don't enjoy emails. So that's, that's the one part. Uh, what's your favorite project so far? Favorite project? Oh, gosh, you're going get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I won't say it's my favorite project. It was one of the projects I really enjoyed. Um, you know, we did all of the creative direction and, and kind of strategy and ideation behind Mr. Easy's uh, Lagos to London debut album. It was released probably a year ago now. Mr. Easy, for, for those who may not know, is a multi-platinum millions of subscribers award-winning um, Afrobeats and, and kind of international fusion artists who we worked with to kind of really take a really interesting sound of Banku music that he had, fusing sounds from Ghana and Nigeria and London. And, you know, this was his seminal project that really launched him, I would say, uh, really firmly into the international scope. I think he, he had a lot of fantastic international acclaim, but this was that album where people said, okay, he's here to stay. He's not yeah. just an African artist. And, you know, he ended up going on tour with Jay Balvin. And, and so his team is super smart, um, really nice guy. And just the chance to work and create with him with 
a number of different partners in YouTube as well. It was just a yeah. super fun experience. And then of note, uh, we did some really cool work with Al Jazeera recently, um, you know, building some murals for a documentary that they had in Sundance. And that was just fun and interesting. And, you know, Sundance is... Yeah, you know, any chance you get to do to work with with some of those teams is always really exciting. So I'd say one that was really fun, and you know, I guess one recent one that that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. And for all the other clients who I didn't mention, it's either because I'm on NDA or because uh, I just didn't have enough time. So love you all. We still love you. We still love you. No, but I ask it because I feel like there's always that one where you're like something special happened. You know, it's not saying that the others were not special, but there. Are Sometimes that some that learned that taught you something or where you did something that was really different that you couldn't have thought of. Or yeah, yeah that were a bit of a highlight moment. You know? For like sure. The, like the Mr. Easy one, I'm sure, yeah, it was big because I'm sure he even um did it help you grow your brand of the company just because of the reach that he has as an entertainer? Yeah, I mean, listen, much love to Dorego's, Mr. Easy, the entire team, Nikita. Absolutely. I think, you know, working with people who value quality, but also have a fantastic product um, is really cool. And so coming up with some of that concept, that double decker bus, um, that kind of damfo decker, if you will, was, was yeah, cool. No, was and, cool. And I think also, you know, relationship building. I was just talking mm. to Dorego's the other day, who's uh, Mr. Easy's manager, and just talking about a few things. And, you know, recently did some work with Manifest, who's like, you know, an incredible Ghanaian rapper. Oh, M dot A N I F E S T and even working with him that we were just chatting the other day and you build personal relationships with these folks. And so I think that's a kind of the, the value, like when you do business well, you know, it's less so about the business, it's about the relationships. I always say you want to do business with people who you like, right? If yeah. person A is giving me $10 for a product, he's going to charge me $10 for a product and person B is going to charge me $11. But I really dislike person A or dislike doing business with them. I might go for the higher cost item because I really enjoy working with that individual. So the ability to build lasting relationships with people and drive connection is exciting. And oftentimes I'll work with a client once and end up connecting them to people and they end up building businesses that I'm not even a part of. But if I can help put you on, if you will, or add value, that's kind of of what we're all about at Peppa. It's like about adding value. So there's some clients we talk to and I'm like, you don't really need our services. And I'm, mm. and I'm okay to say, I don't think I can help you. Let's yeah. talk tomorrow. But that builds a relationship that builds credibility. We've had to do that a lot where I'm like, hey, the timing doesn't work or I really don't think you can afford us right now. And you can probably get halfway there on your own. And, you know, yeah. six months later, a year later, they come to us and say, hey, I just signed a deal. Let's, let's work together. But we're their first call. So, you know, I, awesome. I think... Not all business is good business and not all all opportunities have to be executed immediately. Yeah. And like, yeah, and you're taking like a long-term approach to it, right? Because what if you had said yes and then not been able to deliver it or for one reason or another, or the person, like you said, they were not a good match. So it just wasn't going to work, but now you've put your name in it and kind of spoiled the relationship that maybe in two years or five years could have led into something else, you know? Totally, totally. I think you have to have a long-term view of your business. I mean, I'm realistic in that you've got overhead, you've got bills, you've got things that you've got to um, take care of. But at the same time, don't service today at the expense of tomorrow. It's, it's kind of always been mm. the mindset that I've mm. had, right? And so even in university, you know, when all the buddies were popping bottles and going crazy, I was like, oh, the stock market thing is looking interesting. You know, how do I get in on an Apple, on a Google? 
because yeah. you know, I'd rather be and super optimistically 45 years old on a yacht than spending $200 on a bottle in my mid-30s and having to retire late. And I, and I think that's a gross oversimplification, but yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea is don't, don't sacrifice tomorrow for the small pleasures of today. And, you know, it's, it's this balance, right? In this kind of internet world of YOLO and tomorrow may not come and COVID-19 and let's, you know, go crazy and party. So yeah. again, it's, it's a balance, right? Mm-hmm. You will see me on yeah. the dance floor getting it down, but you will also see me up at six in the morning getting it done because I got a long-term goal that I want to achieve. That's amazing. Yeah. How, what would you say to your younger self, like Clarence, like, I don't know, seven years ago, 10 years ago? That's a great question. What would I say? Um, I would say take more risks. I would say take more risks. You know, I think coming to Canada from Kenya and really wanting to make sure that I didn't mess up. You know, I was super, super focused on school, which I think is incredibly important. Mm. But as a result, I think I didn't put myself out there as much as I would have liked to. And, you know, a lot of opportunities that came at my door, I said, well, I don't know. And I don't know if I should try that. And you're young enough that you can rebound, um, mm. you know? And so I would have told myself to take a couple more risks. I would told myself to eat more ice cream because your body doesn't recover as quickly when you get older. I would have told myself to, to be kinder to myself. You know, I think I was, yeah. I was pretty tough on myself when I was young. I wanted to be the best. I, you know, I always was pushing myself. And just, it's okay to take your foot off the gas and just enjoy your youth. You know, I'm a big believer in experiencing what you have to experience when you're meant to. And when you're in your 20s, be a 20-year-old. When you're in your 30s, be a 30-year-old. And so I would have just told myself to take my foot off the gas a little bit to take my head out of the weeds and just look around and, and see what opportunities come. You know, a lot of mentors, I really, whether I follow them virtually or, or I know them personally, they were people who took risks at a young age and were willing to dare to be different. And so I kind of encourage myself. I always give feedback from a start, stop, continue perspective. So I press, guess I would say, I, you know, I want to start to look up a little bit more and take risks. I think I would continue to work hard and be humble and live beneath my means. That's, that's one of the things that's been a really key um, element of my success. And then I think I continue, I think it's just continue to build strong relationships and invest in people that you love. Mm, so good, so good. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do I see myself in five years? You know, as, obviously I run Peppa um, as, a, as a co-founder, but you know, I, I'm a director at a Fortune 500 company. And so I, I think in five years, I definitely want to, continue to grow both elements. Um, And I think I want to find a path to marry the two. Five years, I definitely want to be in a position where I've got more options. And and I think, you know, somewhere within that, some international travel, you know, I've been living in Canada for the last over 10 years and I love it. But I also now I'm a Canadian citizen, have that beautiful blue passport that lets you travel. So I I want to be in a position where, where my finances aren't tied to a location. Um, And that I've got the ability to be where I want, do what I want, and have more freedom and flexibility. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit vague. I'm still working through. No, of course. You caught me in my my annual planning process. So I find a lot of people will plan January. I find like there's too much going on in January. So I usually sort of take uh, March and April to kind of do my planning and kind of my personal fiscal year goes April to April. So. 
this is a, a deep time of reflection. So I'm glad we're chatting because it's spawning a lot of thoughts. Where do you want to be in five years? Oh, man. Yeah, no, uh, you, you, you didn't plan for that. That's no, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I'm actually going to rebrand the podcast and do it bigger. I like that. So definitely want to grow that and spin a business out of it as well. And kind of figure out what that will look like, actually. That's part of my goals this year. I like that. And actually on that, because I'm about connecting people, you got to connect with Paula Rogo, who runs Kali Media, uh, a media company based out of Kenya, um, focused on kind of telling women's stories using podcasting and other means, who started her own podcast um, that's been quite successful. So I'm going to connect you with her, because if you do want to rebrand your podcast, that's definitely someone to talk to. Yes, because she, I think she did rebrand hers. And then, yeah, actually, I really like what she does. She's awesome. Shout out, Paula yes, Rogo. Yeah, yeah. Paula like, Rogo. Kali. Kali.media, K A L I.media. They're doing lots of good shit. So, quick plug for them. Yes. Um, but also, like, I think that's, I think what you're building with the podcast is super awesome because we've talked about this for a long time. This has yeah, been a long time have, coming. Man. So, yeah. sometimes it's just as easy as just starting, right? Yes. And then actually on that note, yeah, when you do start, then you get to see kind of goes with what you're saying with risks. First, you get to see that you were kind of freaking out for no reason, but also then, then you learn. You're like, oh, I can adjust this. I can adjust this. There's all these things that I hadn't thought about, but I couldn't have thought about them because I wasn't doing it yet. Right, but now that right. I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, there's all these other options. So I need to sit down and think about that. And I would still like to also keep working, like have my job, but obviously like be promoted into a bigger role or something like actually not a bigger role. Yes, a bigger role, but a role where I have more impact. Amen. No blessings coming your way. That's all podcast listeners send blessings your way. More life, more love. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of like you, like be in a place where I feel I can live life on my own terms. I think that's why we're striving for right i love that and i think by starting this podcast you've begun that journey and you know for those listening promote it and share it because this is somebody's dream and i think in many ways you know your ability to have started it you're on that journey you know whether you do this full-time or not it fulfills you it builds you up and and it's a part of holistic living so yeah exactly and i learned so much from people there you go i'm learning from being on this too so I know. And Clarence, I have full confidence that you are going to achieve what you want and even more. Amen to that. Amen to that. You always have a plan, man. Like you're not just talking to talk. You're talking and you're like, oh yeah, so now let me go sit down and figure out how to make it happen. True. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, honestly, we would only do this for you. I'm, I, I, yeah, you won't see me a lot on the media. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much. I do private, appreciate your time. For you opening up. But yeah, I, I think like just, you know, my thing for people is like, just pursue your dreams. Like it's one of those things, you know, how do I know if I should just start? Like, don't think about it. Just give something a shot. Like, you know, what is the worst that can happen? I think sometimes we overestimate the worst case scenario. And we do. Oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. And what will people say? And it's like, what do you even care? Like these people don't care about you. Like do what you got to do. And, and I think sometimes knowing is better than not knowing, you know, I've pursued a lot of things that I realized I wasn't good at and weren't for me. And now I know, and now it's off the yeah. list. So yeah, for I sure. Think, I think there's a matter of pragmatism in terms of how you approach things. But, you know, this idea of stepping out, like I think about this podcast, we've talked about it for so long. I'm honored and privileged to be on it. 
Um, and it's, it's happening. This is real. So super exciting. Yeah. Any last words of advice or any last thoughts that you have? I think just, um, I think be kind to yourself. Mm. Um, I think be kind to yourself is something I've been thinking a lot about, but also be the person to be the toughest on yourself. You know, I think when other, when it's coming from other people, sometimes we have negative reactions, but I think you've got to know what you're capable of and you got to push yourself to really see what you can do. And I think in so many ways, oftentimes I think we get complacent and it's, oh, I didn't come grow up with money or I, I'm not, I don't have access to this. And it's like, well, what do you have access to? Because mm-hmm. we all have something at mm-hmm. our disposal and challenge yourself to kind of learn and grow and build. Um, and that's kind of what I try to do. You know, um, I think a, a lasting thought, you know, a good mentor of mine once said to me, um, you know, treat life like um, golf, not tennis. So tennis is a game where it's me versus you, right? Mm. If I hit the ball and you miss, I win, right? And my ability to succeed is predicated on your ability to lose. Mm. If you think about golf, though you are playing against other people, you're really playing against your own best score. And I think the key for me is waking up every day and trying to be the best version of yourself. Benchmarking based on you yesterday so you can achieve who you want to be tomorrow. So I really just try to play golf. And that for me is mind, body, and soul being a better version of myself and being tough on myself when I'm lazy and I'm procrastinating. But kind to myself when I've been working hard and, and putting in a lot of effort. So play golf, not tennis people. That's kind of my, my thing. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Clarence. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really appreciated it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get so much insight from this conversation. I certainly hope so. What did you think of the conversation that you just heard? Don't hesitate to leave us comments on the Facebook group or on the website, jazzadikmar.com. As the old adage goes, sharing is caring. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, like, and subscribe. Until next time, keep striving, keep thriving, and keep shining.